Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. All right, we have with us today Rupert Short. He is the religion editor at the Times Literary Supplement and a research fellow at the Van Hugel, Von Hugel Institute for Critical Catholic Inquiry. His books include Does Religion Do More Harm Than Good? God is No Thing coherent Christianity, and Christianophobia, a faith under attack. He actually had a short piece for us on the web at First Things back in September 2016 entitled Secular Blindness. Today he's with us to discuss a new book entitled Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grownups. Rupert, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, well, some of our listeners may actually be too young at this point to remember the wave of the new atheism that hit the the Anglo-American world back in the early mid-aughts. Why don't you tell us just who is this Dawkins fellow? Who was he? He's a pretty renowned zoologist. I, I only wish he stuck within his uh, field of, of professional expertise, but for, for quite a long time before the turn of the millennium, he was given to occasional salvos against uh, religion, expressing quite a sort of hard-line atheist position, um, reflecting maybe a a bit of a a Victorian mindset. It's uh, striking that he's often been so keen to represent religious believers as, as belonging to the past. But I think the, the sort of paradigms that, that he himself uh, assumes belong rather to, to another era. That, that said, he had tended to concentrate on uh, biology and zoology, and uh, many of our listeners, I'm sure, will be aware at least of the, um, by reputation of earlier bestsellers of his like the Selfish Gene and the Extended Phenotype and the, the Ancestor's Tale. But it was really after 9-11, I think, that his militant atheism really came out. And it might have been uh, in, in part a, a wish to, to draw a veil over uh, strongly anti-Islamic it's harder to be accused of Islamophobia if your fire is trained on religion as such. Having said that, I think he, he is pretty hostile to, to Christianity as well as to, to Islam. But anyway, he produced 
in 2006, uh, the, the God Delusion and his friend uh, Christopher Hitchens, hold on the heels of that, produced uh, God is Not Great. And then there, there were works by Daniel Dennett and, and Sam Harris and other so-called apostles of, of the new atheism. They, they were rapidly sort of grouped together and uh, gained the, the nickname of the, the four horsemen of of the, the, the new atheism. Uh, their books sold in millions, but as you indicate, they didn't necessarily stand the test of time, and I think this probably explains the, the book uh, for which my own uh, little work is a, a rebuttal. That's to say, Outgrowing God, A Beginner's Guide to, to Atheism, Dawkins published that uh, in the summer of last year and represented it as a, as a sort of um, simplified version of the argument set out in, in The God Delusion. Uh, and that explains my own title, Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grown-Ups. That book, The God Delusion, was a massive bestseller, as you said. These books and, and the other books by Harris and and Hitchens, they sold in the millions. What was it about the God delusion that made it so doggone popular? Well, I would like to stress that I don't only fight on, on one front. I mean, I, I would like to be as generous as possible to my opponents and to grant that they uh, do have... Uh, an, an element of right on their side. I mean, I, I don't think that you uh, persuade some of the people some of the time or even all of the time unless there is an element of plausibility in your thesis. And let's face it, there, there is a lot of credulous religion out there. There's toxic religion, there's superstition, and so forth. The logical false move is to infer from that that therefore religion as such is inherently self-contradictory in theory and, and toxic in, in practice. Religion is, among other things, a form of kinship bond, like patriotism or family life, uh, among others. And for the same reason that you, know, you, you, you can produce an argument against certain kinds of patriotism. Patriotism can go wrong on occasion, but it's a little bit weird to say that patriotism as such is wrong. I think that this, this points us in, in, in the direction of, of the, the problem with the new atheists. They, um, they, they did the subject to death. They undermined a potentially plausible thesis about the corrupt uses to which religion can be put. They undermine that by colossal overstatement. Now, imagine in the, in the political arena if somebody on the far left said, because of the crimes of Hitler, uh, all right-wing thought is self-contradictory in theory and ruinous in practice. Um, and imagine somebody at the opposite end of the political spectrum said, said the same thing in reverse. 
they they just be told to 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 grow up. There is quite a. I mean, I I obviously know Europe a, a bit better than North America, but I I probably speak for for elements of North America as well. That that there is a a, a section of secular liberal opinion that is vehemently anti-religion and these guys were pushing at an open door as i've indicated as you said that their books sold in huge numbers because people were very willing to swallow the thesis without really considering the case of the defense but as you've also implied these books haven't really uh, lasted the test of time. That there's an element of the, you know, the, the high-fat, high-salt uh, snack uh, side to, to these books. They're, they're, um, the, the, the former chief rabbi of the UK, Jonathan Sachs, who, who has a, a nice line in, in put-downs, said of, of Dawkins once, uh, on, on the surface he, he's profound, deep down he, he's shallow. And I, I, I think that, that that's the trouble, really. The, these, uh, if you come out with strong slogans, if you package them well, they can be attractive on, on the surface, but they, they, they don't really satisfy any kind of appetite to explore a, a subject in depth or with nuance. Uh, you, you note at one point, actually very early in the book, that, quote, large sections of the media, university, and the arts establishment, unquote, they become condescending and dismissive toward religion. Is this the ground, the fertile ground in which the new atheism came out? And, and of course, the, the second part of my question would be, those areas are still condescending and pretty dismissive toward religion, or do you think that something has changed in those worlds relative to religion? That's a very interesting question. I, I think that there is still that element of condescension. Having said that, uh, I don't think the direction of travel is one way. Um, a couple of generations ago, theology, religious studies, philosophy of religion would have been looked at in many university departments as akin to studying a, a dead civilization. There's been a, a tremendous recovery of nerve in the world of theology. It's, it's just taken a, a, a little while to uh, be appreciated outside. I mean, that, that, that's one hopeful sign that, that I would draw on. So you, you've got uh, very considerable thinkers ranging from Nicholas Walterstorff and Alvin Plantinger, uh, David Bentley Hart, uh, Edward Faser in the United States, uh, figures like Rowan Williams and uh, John Milbank in the UK, a, a major Catholic voice in France such as uh, Jean-Luc uh, Marion who's won the, the country's top prize in philosophy, and that there are comparable figures in the, the Protestant world in Germany. Side by side with that, there, there has, of course, been a spate of return to religion books 
over the past 10, 15 years, pointing out that uh, Europe is, is very much a, a kind of exception when it comes to religion. And if politically correct voices are telling us all the time that we need to listen to the rest of the world, well, excuse me, what's going on in the rest, in the rest of the world? Religion is on the rise, and it's precisely democratization, globalization, modernization that has made uh, religious voices more prominent. A few generations ago, a, uh, a series of secular elites in societies ranging from, from Egypt to, to Turkey to, to India sort of declared from on high that religion should be sidelined, that it belonged to the past, that it was an expression of a, a sort of primitive worldview. And look what's happened. A few generations on, religion has, has come back to, to, to bite the powers that be in the form of fundamentalism. So part of what I've tried to do in my own work is is to say, well, the, the answer to, to bad theology is good theology. It's not no theology at all. Uh, I, I do sense that even in some of those secular spaces, the contemptuous attitude that drips with every sentence from the God delusion and God is not great and the others, that that's not... That's not good form, even in the, the, the hard progressive secular worlds now. And, and that, yeah, they, they do see that this approach was not, was not a winning approach, certainly not in the, in the long term. Now, one, one thing you note is that one of the blind spots in the new atheism is that they misunderstand what you call the, quote, process of spiritual refinement that faith faith is not something that never changes in even if you look at the level of the individual that faith develops faith grows faith can even correct itself is that right yes uh, absolutely i mean if if i were to pinpoint one really basic misconception at, at the heart of Dawkins's view. Dawkins, who incidentally I think did have a very brief phase, not many people know this, but I think as a teenager he, he may have had a spell as a, a, an evangelical Christian. It, it lasted a, a very short period of time, and by about the age of 15 he had decided that belief in God was, was um, about as helpful as belief in the, or credible as belief in the tooth fairy, and he has never deviated from that adolescent certainty ever since. Now, the, the, the core mistake here is to think of God as a, uh, a blown-up creature at the opposite end of the scale from a, a neutrino, a, a, a great big powerful thing who uh, somehow... Um, uh, competes for space with his creation and intervenes in the way that a, a physical agent might might intervene. He has a very, very unsophisticated uh, 
grasp of intellectual history. So his his narrative is a very, very simple one. Once upon a time, there were lots and lots of things that we that we couldn't explain, so we just described them to the agency of God. Bit by bit, we filled in the picture with science. One day, the picture will be fully filled in. Even now, we don't need to postulate divine agency at all. And he he um, he, he begins his, his book with what he sees as, as his kind of um, trump card, which is more, more like a, an Achilles heel to, to my mind, because he, he says, look, we, we are all of us atheists with respect to virtually every god that has ever been postulated. You know, no, none of us really believes in the existence of, of Zeus or uh, Athena or, or Votan or, or, or whoever. And the atheist simply believes in in, in one less God. Uh, Judeo-Christianity believes in in Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. This was simply uh, another uh, tribal deity standing in the undergrowth with lots of competitors back in the um, first century and in, in, in the centuries uh, before the, the birth of Christ. Let's, let's clear all this foliage away. Um, and he explains the etymology of the word polytheism. But he, he ignores the, the, the one piece of Greek uh, etymology that, that really matters in this context, and that's the difference between uh, hotheos, literally the god, and theos, without the article. Now, that distinction in Greek corresponds roughly to the distinction in English between God spelt with or without a capital G. Now, even in late antique paganism, let alone in the Abrahamic faith, you are getting this idea that the, the source of all reality is not, not a, a thing among things. And this very, very simplistic picture is one that Dawkins carries through his entire discussion. So when he talks about the Bible, for example, his assumptions are, are those of they're, they're the mirror image of, of the fundamentalists that he, that he hates. So he, he would be very exercised, for example, about a question like Noah's Ark. Um, he never stops to distinguish between various kinds of genre in the text. I mean, the, the fact that the, the Bible includes uh, poetry, um, spiritual reflection, as well as history. It's never formed any part of the Christian creed to suppose that there was a specific transgression involving a snake in a garden in 4004 BC, or whenever it was that Archbishop Usher thought the world was created. The only thing that the Christian really needs, or the, the, the crucial takeouts, let's say, that the Christian can derive from the early verses of the Bible are, number one, that we, we are here as, as a universe, let's say, because of God's choice and God's action. 
Secondly, that from a very early stage, things have gone badly wrong with the human race, but that despite that, God has not given up on us. Now, I could amplify that example, but you get the picture. Dawkins, Trotz, all the way through the Bible, and time and again, he he misses the, the wood for the trees, he comes to the Gospels, and taking what what you might politely call a very, very left-brained understanding of things. He says, well, you know, it either happened exactly as recorded in the the Gospels or it was a matter of Chinese whispers. And there's no no sense of nuance here at all. I say at one point, I try to produce a summary of, of what the historical significance of Jesus was. And I come up with the following. Jesus proclaimed the arrival of the kingdom of God with all that it entailed in terms of the remission of debt, the espousal of the poor and the marginalized, and the casting out of evil spirits, and the release of those resources of love, generosity, and compassion, which are so easily repressed by social convention and misguided religious scrupulosity. This mission led to Jesus' death, which he freely accepted, sensing that it would have redemptive power for the community of believers he inaugurated. Now, I am prepared to wager a large amount that that is a perfectly solid, historically reliable summary of the picture that we get from the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't just stop with with with, with matters of um, philosophy and theology and uh, scriptural commentary, however. I want to take the battle uh, onto Dawkins' own territory. It's uh, um, a, a, quite an irony, really, that, that his... Um, his sort of intellectual beard is a uh, theoretical physicist, an American called Lawrence Krauss, who, who's written a book called The Universe from Nothing. And when Dawkins debated uh, the subject of religion with, with uh, Rowan Williams in, um, in Oxford in, in 2012, when uh, Dr. Williams was still Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Dawkins wheeled out Krauss and said, It's only a matter of time, really, before physics will be able to explain absolutely everything. Now, I've looked at Krauss's book, and it's, as it were, only when you've read a large amount of the text and looked at the the footnotes that you realize that, that the entire discussion is premised on the prior existence of a
gratitude and respect for science. But that, that is not to say that science can account for, for everything. It's, it's, it's very successful within, uh, within the territory covered by its own remit. But ultimately, it is not possible in the terms that naturalism allows to explain how, how anything can exist at all. So that's, that, that's something that I said about the physics. If you'll allow me, I'd like to just um, briefly say something about biology as well, because when I was researching my book, I interviewed a, a number of scientists, some of whom spoke to me off the record. And there was one very eminent physiologist in, in particular who said to me, Rupert, ne never mind about the theology. I, I am an agnostic. I don't know anything about theology. But Dawkins is up the spout on, on the science. Now, without getting too technical, it's because Dawkins is a neo-Darwinist and thinks of the physical world as consisting of meaningless uh, bit, bits of stuff. And he has, in the past, been very scathing about uh, ideas of goal-directedness and, and teleology in nature. In fact, in um, The God Delusion, one, one of the most e egregious passages was when he, in the space of just uh, three or four pages, dismissed the arguments of St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, and it said a, a lot more about him than it did about Aquinas because he misinterpreted virtually uh, everything that he, he talked about there. And in particular, he mistook St. Thomas's fifth way for intelligent design. And the, the fifth way has nothing at all to do with intelligent design. Um, and it is a huge irony that precisely at the cutting edge of biology and zoology right now, there is an, an interest in ways of modeling the science that can be traced directly to, to Aquinas and ultimately to, to Aristotle. And I quoted the, the words of, of one very, very sharp commentator, John Cottingham, which strike me as, as really relevant. Many scientists do talk teleologically, that's to say with, with goals in mind. It's curious, actually, that many people discussing the modern scientific worldview use words like random and accidental. Stephen Hawking certainly did that. You know, we're just an accidental blip on the face of the cosmos. But, says Cottingham, that can't be quite right. It does seem that it is quite natural for galaxies to form. It is natural for some stars to explode into supernovas and to produce heavier elements. It is natural for planets to form, and most scientists say that sooner or later, given the right conditions, life will emerge. And then, given the Darwinian principles of selection, intelligence is likely to be favoured. So the scientific conclusion from all that seems to be that the universe is, as the British astronomer Royal Martin Rees puts it, both biophilic and 
noophilic, that is to say, that it will tend in due course to produce life and intelligence. There is a natural tendency there, if you like. So using words like accident, random, and so on, is in a way misleading. Now, does that mean that you have to believe in God? No, not necessarily. I don't think that faith in God, uh, a living faith in, in Christ, if you're a Christian, should ever come at the end of an equation. But what it can do is take one to the threshold of a religious awareness or, of, or, or to a point where one might start taking the claims of religion more seriously, where, where one might be prepared to take a leap of faith or, or a leap of imagination, as I prefer to, to call it. And it also, um, very importantly to my mind, is a, is a good steer, uh, inspiration, maybe may warning to religious believers and particularly perhaps some who, who may feel a bit more nervous, a bit more uncertain, and to say, look, you don't, you don't need to be frightened. You don't need to stick your head in the sand. There's a very, very deeply embedded narrative that there is this inherent conflict between science and religion, and that isn't true. Of course, there, there, there have been moments of conflict, but there have been many, many periods of, of great creative dialogue. The, the figures who created the modern world, uh, Copernicus, Galileo, Leibniz, Newton, Descartes, th these were not men who, who just happened to go through the motions of a, a religious practice because they lived in highly developed societies. These were men with deep, deep theological interests side by side with, with their scientific ones. And right now, there are highly distinguished scientists of um, a Christian complexion in, in, in particular, but not only Christians, Jews and, and others, who, who are building bridges between religion and science. And um, if, if you'll allow me to, to make one final point, I, I would just say this, broadening the, the perspective still further. Given that Dawkins looks on uh, religious belief as, as incoherent in, in theory, he, he's bound, I suppose, to, to see it as a, a retrograde force in the, the, the world at large, even though sometimes he, he can contradict himself on that. For, for example, he, he's saluted the, um, the work of, of certain public figures of, of Christian conviction, and interestingly, he, he has lamented the ignorance of the, the Bible, among other aspects of our heritage, among the, the young these days. But you won't be surprised that I would want to go a lot further than that, and to say that religious voices can be our sources of much greater progress, much greater value uh, in, in, in the world in practice. Faith-based 
conviction has mobilized millions of people to change the world um, for the good. The trouble is that we, we tend to, to overlook that, and I put my hands up as a, as a, a journalist. Uh, I know a thing or two about the corruptions in my trade. Uh, good news does not sell newspapers, bad news does. A volcanic eruption, by definition, is news. Underground streams which provide stability and prosperity for generations uh, does not count as, as news, even though in the, the greater scheme of things it's probably of, of, of even greater importance. And so uh, if, if, if you think that we can do without religion then just be careful what you wish for. You might be soaring off the branch that you're sitting on. The book is Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grownups. Rupert Short, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.